I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, I'm Sarah Pascoe. Hello, I'm Carrie Ad Lloyd. And we're weird about books. We love to read. We read too much. We talk too much. About the too much that we've read. Which is why we've created the, the Weirdos, Weirdos Book Club. Club. Join us! A space for the lonely outsider to feel accepted and appreciated. A place for the person who'd love to be in a real book club, but doesn't like wine or nibbles. Or being around other people. Is that you? Join us. Check out our Instagram, at Sarah and Carriad's Weirdos Book Club, for the upcoming books we're going to be discussing. You can read along and share your opinions. Or just skulk around in your raincoat like the weirdo you are. Thank Thank you for reading with us. We We like reading with you. This week's book guest on the Weirdos Book Club is The Pumpkin Eater by Penelope Mortimer. A slim tome, The Pumpkin Eater is the tragic comic story of Jo, a woman on her fourth husband and mother to a great number of children. Her unhappiness is both idiosyncratic and familiar. What qualifies it for the Weirdo Book Club? Well, it's about a woman with quite a lot of children who has a breakdown in Harrods. We've all been there. In this episode, we will be discussing shit men, unhappy women, marriage, children, abortion, racism in the past, infidelity, just 17, Schrodinger being a sex offender, and whether or not the author is related to Emily Mortimer. Spoiler, she isn't. The pumpkin eater. Nom, 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 nom. Yeah, exactly. Nom, 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 pumpkin. <laughs> That's the audio book. Um, I have something to tell you about sound effects, but not just yet. Okay. Um, I thought we could start by introducing this book. Like, imagine like this book was coming to meet your friends. You you do it. You introduce it to okay. me. Okay. Okay. My friend's coming. Oh my God. She's Why? Called you the... always invite people without telling me. <laughs> She's called it's the genuinely pump... something you do. She's called the pumpkin eater. You'll feel bad for saying that. Okay. She's really lonely. <laughs> and she's quite sad. Okay. And actually, I don't think her life has been going great. And She sounds like a real downer. I think she's made some bad decisions, but mm. I don't think she's a bad person. Mm-hmm. I think actually once you I've, meet her... I've met her. I have yeah. met her actually. I met her the other day. Okay. And I agree with you. She's yes. not a bad person. No. But she has made some stupid decisions. Yeah. But you have quite a lot in common with her. <laughs> oh, because... Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> you love pumpkins. And, I do um, love pumpkins. Because um, she's married to a man who writes movies, just like you are. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I don't have six children. Do you think she has six children? She does have six children. I thought it was an un- unnumbered oh, amount of children. well, this is me being sneaky because it's very much based... 
the book, the guest book, is very much based on the real writer, Penelope Mortimer, who did have six children. Oh, did she? Yes. I see. So I suspect, in my head it was six, because she had six. Ah, okay. So I do like Death of the Author, where <laughs> I um, I try and consider a work separate from their creator. I refuse to separate art from the artist, so. I want you to know something about her, Penelope Mortimer. Right. Virgo. Oh. Mm. Are we going to do this for all authors? Yes. I really want us to have listeners who respect us and I feel like if why in the first two why minutes why are you denying your truth oh, I'm not denying you my truth you are denying your I'm truth I'm not denying my truth I'm just saying sometimes people pretend to be slightly different to they are oh, they present- I see you think people you pretend to be much more cynical and rational but in real life there's a bit more not there cynical and rational but I wouldn't say hey you should read this the author is Adorus so this Penelope Mortimer's The Pumpkin Eater was published in 1962 that's important okay what's really important also yeah because i suggested we read this yeah i read it a few years ago i really enjoyed it and i have to start the whole episode with an apology yeah because of the racism yes we should definitely and talk the about the ableism racism. and the homophobia yeah. and all of those things are in there in that very lazy way yeah. that people were well, well linguistically lazily it's racist shocking and when it pops up it is shocking yeah yeah it is shocking there's a couple of actually genuine and i wanted to say that at the yes, beginning agreed. as soon as we'd said the star sign of the writer <laughs> i wanted to clarify um for yes. anyone who going away like oh that sounded like a good book yes oh, i'm crack, glad you crack i thought the same thing because the racism is like and, and it's, it's near the beginning yes, yes right near the beginning and we should add that it was made into a film yeah where they actually they, it's almost word for word a lot of the film, but they, they took out that, which I thought was interesting. Well, I, was, I was going to ask you about this. Yes, do. Because I, I don't know what my opinion is. And I think both opinions are right. Some sure. people think you update things, you take those phrases out. Oh, well, they made the film in 1964. Mm. No, I mean now. Right. So this, okay. this, this one was published oh, see, in 2013. I, I think it's strange to have a book with the overt racism that has and on the front cover is the Edna O'Brien quote which is from the 60s saying almost every woman I can think of will want to read this book and within about five pages there's some language that's really shocking and I thought it's weird not to have that mentioned anywhere in the foreword there are some people who say well you're just oh, just editing out making writers look better than they you are you don't take it out but you can mention like I genuinely was like bloody yeah. hell yes yeah and then I, looked, I then I closed it and thought what an awful thing to put on the front. Almost every woman I think would want to oh. read. It's like, certain women definitely don't want to read this white, book. White is in yeah, brackets. Yeah, yeah. And that rich, quote... Rich white women in to brackets. To be fair, the Edna O'Brien quote is like it's from 1962 when it was first published and it was a big success. Yes. So I understand why they put that. But, but yes, also, I agreed. I thought, people in the 60s, white people, wouldn't have found those phrases shocking. They no, probably no, no. would have used those phrases. But then phrases. if you're republishing this as a Penguin Modern classic... Yeah. I know, it's strange. This is what I was going to say to you, and it leads to the sound effects. Okay. (laughs) We haven't talked about this book at all yet, but um, so you know that they've um, edited Roald Dahl Mm -hmm. to update them. Yes, yes. Well, I went to record one of the audiobooks for them, the Twits, and I felt really difficult about it. What, you recorded the edited ones that everyone said? Yeah. Shame on you for recording the edited ones. Yeah, but I was like, no, I really want to do it because it's in a a set with like Romesh and Acaster and Tim Key. I like that you're all going down. Really cool people. (laughs) David Tennant's done one. Okay. Sanjeev Bhaskar. So it's a really cool group of people to be in. Lolly Adafope's done one. And The Twits is a really scary, great book. I love The Twits. And I did think, oh God, you know, if you ever post this on Instagram, oh, hey, I read an audiobook for children, people will be like, 
that's not the real version. Why are you such a snowflake? But what I didn't realise when I went to do the audio, because I had to do all the sound effects. Oh, do you have to do the twit sound effects? Yeah. So first of all, at the beginning, we were like laughing because it was like a frog snoring. And I was like, yeah. oh, I can add this to my CV. But by the end, it was like four monkeys on top of each other in descending size and a bird warning everyone and like slopping glue and a man eating out of his beard. Yeah, the beard. There's a lot of eating with that beard, Mr. Twit. I had to do all of the sounds of the different dishes. And they were like, OK, now ketchup and now spinach. And I forgot all the voices that I had did for people at the oh, beginning. Yeah, you got remember the there voices. There were so many characters. You got no, you got writing down. Well, didn't write down. Write down. Anyway, but, but to go back to my point, yes. there are people who think even if something is would now be considered rude, offensive, yeah, uh, racist, it was that at the time. It should still exist yes. to prove. Otherwise, you're sort of editing history. Yeah, and go, yeah. it wasn't that bad. And when the it language was. it did. It's only two instances I think in the book of actual full on racist language there's other stuff there's two racist yeah there's two absolutely like whoa but but then there was an ableist one and a homophobic one in the similar vein of like a common saying yes like people would just say that the reason i'm saying there's only not like there's only two what i mean is please don't think the whole book is about the book is very much not about that and if you read the book you'll be like wow they're dedicating a lot no one's reading this book now it's a virgo (laughs) who's racist (laughs) (laughs) i was surprised if anyone was listening to the podcast but anyway it was turned into a film in 1964 and anne bancroft played joe the main character in the film and was nominated for an oscar for her performance it was a big hit Pick it, but do you know what my problem is? Sure. Screenplay was written by a man. Harold it was written Pinter. by Harold Pinter. Now, I'll, interesting fact about that. Yeah. I He almost basically takes word for word because she's so, Penelope Mortar is so good at dialogue. Yeah. It's word for word a lot of it. And he he rejigs, he, he, he shapes it, I'd be fair, and he does a good job. The script is really good. But her, her, her voice is very clear in it. Yes. And apparently she was very happy that he did it as well at the time. Hmm. So I I felt similar to you. I was like, oh, um, and it's I mean it's still very much of a, a man's lens because it's 1964 and you know they basically Anne Bancroft won for staring into a camera and like having a beautiful tear run down her face. <laughs> it's very 1960s woman goes mad. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like she looks stunning. Did and you she's prefer drinking. the film to the book? Um, it's different different vibes. It's not like I don't love you. It's just this is a different expression. Of <laughs> The book, the writing is much better and it's more complex and it's more nuanced. The film is, as films are, you know, is telling a simpler story. And it's really, the film is really of its time. So it's like re- like the way they're acting. And t- there's a point where he like spikes open a can of beer, sprays it over and hands it to the pregnant Joe, And she like downs it really happily yeah. <laughs> as does she likes a cigarette. Yeah. So there's definitely like of its time moments. But um, I think the book, despite us saying about this, the, the racist, ableist, homophobic moments. I think the book speaks to you more as a modern, like you can hear Joe as a woman who's unhappy in a marriage or finding it difficult to know what to do with her life and yeah. having they were, a mother. They weren't a 60s phenomenon. Well, no, it's the way they tell it, it's very 60s. Yeah. You know, it's very beautiful and arch and she just stares blankly at people as they have a party. Mm. And then there's things like, did you love her? I don't know. Did you? Oh, stop it, darling. Sit down. Oh, it's just that. So that's the thing, because when you read it in your head, you're doing the voices. Yeah. So I'm not doing 60s voices. Well, I wasn't until I watched the film. Oh, yeah. But yeah. You're obviously doing the sound effects as you <laughs> They have a beer. What do you think of the representation of motherhood? <laughs> In the, in the book The Pumpkin Eater that's a big question there's a bit that I think is terrifyingly depressing mm. that's the one thing I'd say about this book I wasn't happy after I read it did you feel like that? when I first read it's it bleak. which I told you in the car on the way here I yes. misremembered yes. so I remember this book taking place inside a pumpkin <laughs> 
it was a woman with loads of children and she lived in this massive pumpkin. So it was sort of magic realism. Yep. yep. It's not absolutely not what this book is about. And then at the beginning, I started reading this and it had the rhyme of the pumpkin eater, yes, which I then based lo- on looked the up. Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater had a wife and couldn't keep her. And then there's all of these Reddit threads saying that it's about a man who murders his wife and keeps her body in a pumpkin, which I think is leaping. What? what? Are they talking about a different film? Different no, book? not a film, not a book. The rhyme. Oh, the rhyme. Those four lines of rhyme. I was like, that's not what happens in this book. Yes, I see. But... Oh, that, well, that's people desperate for true crime, if you're honest. I think it is. It's just a nursery rhyme. Yeah, it's just a silly yeah. rhyme, isn't it? So there's a bit... It's a good book. I enjoyed it. End of podcast. Um, <laughs> but I did find it bleak because it's about someone who's really struggling. Because it's such an excessive amount of children that when she wants another child, that's such a... A scene is such a negative thing. Do you think it's, it's ten? Wow. It's, it's seen as an obsession. Well, because my dad's one of nine, and I kept thinking about that. My nanny Babs, who had nine children... The thing that she hated most in Dagenham is that people at a bus stop when they saw who of their kids would go, can't afford a telly, like that. And that's like an Essex way of going, you have sex too Give much. Sex. Yeah. Just watch telly. Go to radio rentals. <laughs> Calm down. Rent a telly. Yeah. Um, in real life, so I just get fascinated with real life, she had six, but she had one was, a, the seventh was a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And she was pregnant with the eighth when she did what happens in the book. So oh. that's the real story okay. that it's based on. I see. I want to read this horrible, horrible bit. Yeah, okay. So th- about motherhood, getting back to mm-hmm. what I've said. So it's a conversation between her and her husband who she suspects is being unfaithful. She's kind of only just realising mm. possibly. Um, and they're having this awful conversation where it's like, is Philport giving to fainting much? Fainting? The children said, well, what, what did they say? They said she fainted yesterday. Oh, well, perhaps she did. They said that you were there, that you caught her. Caught her when she fainted? Yes. Why should I catch her when she faints? I don't know. But did she? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> so it's like this horrible, like... And then this is the paragraph that I actually sent to another mum who writes, because I thought it was so depressing. The incessant company of children leads to this kind of dialogue. It was our mother tongue, incomprehensible to most adults, and in it we carried on the complex, subtle and occasional tragic conversations, which are the last resort of communication between men and women. Mm. Oh, God. yeah. That's what it's like to try and talk to someone you used to have conversation with, and there's just children, so you don't, you just go around yeah. in a circle. And also, yesterday was a long time ago. And oh. why are you asking me? Why are you asking me? I don't know. This? Yeah. And then he said, There's no need to shout. Shout, my God, it's not me who's shouting. It's just like, oh. He has it, but it's also to do with that guy, Jake. And obviously, so Jake is her husband. Jake, is- that guy, so Jake is the, the film filmmaker husband because when she's talking to him she's asking for some definite details for infidelities later yes, on yes she's saying well you were visiting me did you have a hotel nearby did you meet her at a hotel did they let you do hotels by the hour and he's like well probably i can't remember i yeah. don't know anyway it didn't happen oh <laughs> that's his, the way that he his phrases denial, and that's what i mean you really see that in the film of like the kind of 1960s man when she's just like can you just tell me if you slept with someone he's like Maybe I did. And she's like, did you? Yes. Did you? No. Why do you care? And you're like, what? how can any woman have existed in that time where he's like, he just says to her, it doesn't matter. But I think, I don't think that is of that time. Do you I think? think? I think that's liars in general. Oh, maybe. Especially liars that you love and want to believe and know oh. you want to believe them. I think that's the really, really difficult. You're very Lorraine there and I liked <laughs> like the liars you love. <laughs> We'll be talking about the liars you love today. Ring in. Yeah, for our next segment. We're being joined by Carrie Ad Lloyd. Now, Carrie Ad- I can tell you what star sign you are within <laughs> within one to six guesses. So I thought her version of motherhood, which is what your original question mm. was, was very bleak. But we are dealing with a character at a time who's not happy. And she's definitely not... There's a definite choice to not show joy or connection with yes, her children. Yes. 
So motherhood is really bleak if you take out all of the love and joy. Well, again, it's that 60s thing, as we we mentioned, but didn't go into properly. Like her children, the oldest children are sent away to boarding school against her wishes. And that's decided by her husband and her dad in a conversation in front of her where she says, I don't want that to happen. They say, oh, well... Shh, basically. Well, one of the interesting things in the biography is it says that this is a miserable woman who has this safety net of money. He used mm. a different word, it's a safety net. But actually, I thought the opposite. I thought she doesn't have the safety net of money because she personally has no money. Men can make her yeah, decisions. Yeah. The reason the children are sent away is financial. The reason it's her dad's input is because her dad is going to be he pays paying for, it. for the yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. A woman without money is completely disenfranchised. She doesn't have any power over her over her life well it's in, yeah it's interesting we should call this it's interesting because the only power she has is whether to get pregnant so she gets pregnant again for the eighth time and her husband current as we should say these are all from different men this is from the m- most recent husband and is not happy that she's pregnant at all and that's the only sort of agency she has isn't it and he says to her are you are you all right before mm. they have sex and she says, he says, he says you're all sorted aren't you're you? all sorted yeah. <laughs> yeah and she had that amazing phrase about like oh, the dream i know I it was gorgeous away. yeah, yeah. It's easy to fly away when you don't have wings or something Mm. like that. It's really wonderful. And I didn't even really understand it. I didn't know if that phrase was like, oh, because the sex is so good that she's now dreaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because also, I don't know if it is something she has agency over. I think she's blamed for it. I guess it's the only time you see her have any agency and choice. Do you know what I mean? Like she chooses to get pregnant. But two people have sex. Yeah, true. But she very much seems like she knows she'll get pregnant. I mean, she has done it quite a bit, hasn't she? How do you sound? Just like the men in the book. (laughs) It does seem like, oh, do you think she didn't want to get pregnant? I I think ovulation is is hidden and a lot of guesswork. (laughs) Oh, she, but she was said, she she says that bit, like I decided to be nice and she Mm. says, have a party, have your friends on. Because she's like, we're going to have sex tonight because I'm going to get pregnant. Oh, did you think, so you saw it as that sort of conniving not conniving in that she wants another child and she thinks that if she gets pregnant for the eighth time he'll be all right with it once it's here i think she's much more confused i mean i I read her as much more confused that she doesn't know if she wants to have another child or not it doesn't seem to make any sense to her but she also doesn't know what else to do yeah i agree with that i agree i'm not saying i don't mean it conniving but i think there is she makes that agency choice yeah to have like when he says you're right she's like yep and Mm. and the words to me was hinting like yeah, I sort of hoped I'd get pregnant. Okay. And she's not devastated when it happens either. No, no. And she hopes that he will be happy yeah, eventually. Yeah, she w- wants to keep it. I thought the saddest thing in terms of representations of motherhood was when she receives a letter Yes. from another mother, a mother with three children who's deeply unhappy and is asking for advice mm. and what to do with that unhappiness because she seems so happy. Exactly. And she we've just been through this huge journey knowing exactly how unhappy she is, but also how does she get out of it? What advice would you give her? Yeah. She's already made this massive decision that can't be reversed. I thought that was really, really sad. Yeah, that was incredibly sad. And she has that beautiful line because the letter's been thrown away, but she like looks towards the bin yeah. and the one person oh, yeah. who understands her. Is in the bin. Yeah. And that woman doesn't know that that's what she gave her. Was an acknowledgement of other women feel like you do. My next question for you then. How how many children is enough? (laughs) Or how many children is too many? Would you ever judge another family or another woman? No, I'd I'd only think... Hats off, don my mm. chapeau. Yeah. If you can cope with more than two, because I can't cope with two. Like I mentally can't do it. Yeah, and I've got two. <laughs> so I, I can't cope. That is where, and and it's quite sort of underplayed in this. But the staff does make a oh, difference. Oh, she's got fucking she's loads got of staff. nurses and nannies and yeah. cooks and yeah, and, and some people in the public eye. That's what you find. Which has happened. Yeah. As, so 
Jake, who is her fourth husband, I think at this point, has become more successful. So they have, but she had the load of kids before that. And that's why they now have nannies and a big house and they're building another house in the countryside and and they're going to move there and everything's going to be wonderful eventually. And so, yeah, if you've got nannies and help and babe, like, because she does have a breakdown in Harrods because she's got nothing to do that day. Which is really funny. <laughs> he's, really he's annoyed funny. that it happened in Harrods. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is based on a real incident that happened to Penelope Mortimer. What happened? Yeah, she was wandering around Harrods, feeling bits of material, crying. And then she wrote in her diary um, that day, like, awful day, you know, da-da-da. And then went back and wrote down next to it, I don't know, six months later, wrote down next to it, Pumpkin Eater. Oh. And then that's where the book began. So it's it's that happened during the 50s. I had a very similar experience. Did you? Um, I think it was just as we were starting to do IVF and I'd bought... They always tell you to eat bloody pineapple when you're trying to get pregnant. And I was walking through the shop with a pineapple. So my breakdown was in Tesco's. But um, (laughs) but I was holding this pineapple. You're a Gemini. And I just kept imagining people looking at, oh, (laughs) she's trying with the pineapple. Yeah, because you said this, but I had no idea. You were like, oh, because you know everyone knows about the pineapple. I was like, I that's all this stuff, which actually I think is from the forums in infertility. So people always do like icons of pineapples. There's there's lots of stuff, which I realise now is shorthand for people who've been going through it for a very long time. And it's what... You know, these tiny straws, especially because it's affordable. You know, anyone can have some pineapple. <laughs> but you do. Yeah. It's not was, guava. I was Jesus walking around Christ. this like full pineapple and then just started to feel so sorry for myself. Oh, and also feeling that everyone else could see like, oh, Mrs. Pineapple. <laughs> and then I went over and wrote my diary, Mrs. Pineapple. Mrs. Pineapple. And that is the title of your next novel. And I've been played by Anne Bancroft. <laughs> oh, dear. I think she's dead. Can I tell you another fact? Oh, well, please. In real life, she was married to a journalist. Charles Dimont and then the day the divorce got finalised she married John Mortimer the very famous writer John Mortimer although the actress Emily Mortimer is not related to her no that is John Mortimer's second wife who was also called Penelope and they were known as Penelope 1 and Penelope 2 and people used to mistake her for Penelope 2 all the time she never really recovered from this marriage with John Mortimer and this book is dedicated to John and Jake it's basically John. Oh, no. Oh, that's a lot to take in, isn't yeah. it? That's some olden days gossip right there. Yeah, that's good. I thought that was very yeah. good. Um, so, and that obviously, and the story, what happens in the story in this book is what happened to her, that she was pregnant with her eighth child. And John Mortimer, the writer, wrote Run Part of the Bailey, said yeah. to her, I think you should have an abortion. I think while you're there, you should have a hysterectomy. And then she found out after she'd had it, he was having an affair yes. with the actress, Wendy Craig. From EastEnders. <laughs> Do I mean? No, you're thinking the other one. Wendy Craig was in Butterflies. Oh, I'm thinking of um, Wendy Richards. Wendy, no, Wendy. She's got blonde hair. She's in uh, I know who you mean. Pauline. <laughs> Pauline Fowler. Yeah. Is that that's not Wendy Craig, is it? Yeah. No. Wendy Richard. Uh, maybe I just never knew her surname. I just knew her as Wendy. Wendy Craig. That that's, who was pregnant with John Mortimer's child. It's horrible. The beginning of the book is more enjoyable because even though there are things that are slightly bleak, slightly dark yeah. that are happening to her in her young life and sort of going forwards and backwards. It seems like she's got such an incredible turn of phrase. Things are so oh, comedic. Yes, yeah, so you're funny. sort of enjoying a woman creating her own drama, a young woman perhaps mm. being slightly self-destructive or even the affair with Philpot feels very innocent at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And he says we only Who's kissed. Wendy Craig? Who's Wendy Craig? In real life. So he did in real life have an affair and she did have a baby, but she kept it secret. No one knew it was... John Mortimer was a father till he was okay. like an adult. While we're talking about this, because it really seems to appeal to you, like what is true from the author's yes, life. Yes, I find that really interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I find it really interesting, I suppose, because it's a slight, this is a leap, Jane Austen thing, being involved in the Jane Austen world, mm-hmm. as I am, in that 
women often do have to take from their life and especially at that time because where else would she have a life like she you know she had six kids and she I mean she was a very successful writer to be fair um and I think sometimes that's minimized or considered oh is it writing and this book got a lot not criticism but a lot of the reviews were like oh it's kind of based on her life and they mm. were a celebrity couple yeah her and John Mortimer and that like they had like pictures in the paper a lot and people did come up to them and think they had it all so she did have this inner pressure of like celebrity couple of like Ooh. I'm supposed to be the cool North London literary scene with six kids and we all just live together and it's crazy and it's wonderful and it's beautiful yes. but it, it works it's coming from a place of such knowledge isn't it but, but knowledge of pain yes but it's not because oh I lived in a house like that so I can describe it no it's no because it's like the pain of being that's where you put it do you have to I, experience I think, it? I think things that are sometimes so painful, you have to put them somewhere. Yeah. I, I think if you thought you didn't have full agency in losing a child that was wanted, I can see why you'd want to create something else. Yeah. Where they sort of live. Like That's where that Yeah, lives. that's true. Yeah. That's what I think. And it was an extraordinary thing that, like, she lived an extraordinary life. Mm. But I don't, I don't know, sometimes I feel like when you bring up the real story, it's almost like, oh, are you criticising them for... Have, but I, I think it's interesting to have the two. Yes, I don't think it's criticism, but I read it without that and didn't need it, yeah, is what I would say. I would agree. So it's you not don't like, need it. It's not like you have to revise Wikipedia I, before no, enjoying no, the book. No, no, I read it and then Wikipedia after. Oh, I see. Because I was like, who is she? Why have I never heard of her oh, properly? Like, And then I was like, okay. oh, my God. And because of Emily Mortimer, the actress, I was like, is that her mum? And I was like, okay, no, I need to understand <laughs> what's happened here. But yeah, I read it and enjoyed it. You don't need to know this at all. No. I'm just someone who really enjoys facts after a thing. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. What did you think of Philpot, the character? I really, I really loved the early description of oh, her. Fantastic. It, it had, <gasps> Sorry, played by Maggie Smith in the film, just if you want to imagine it. <laughs> My next question was, <laughs> what star sign is Maggie Smith? I don't know. Um, Impressive. So at the beginning, you meet this woman who is lonely and eccentric mm. and is described by the narrator as sort of rushing into things and so she seems slightly dramatic slightly yeah. at fault and sort of fun and harmless and she's sort of perching described like a like a big duck on the fridge and sort of in the way she says um she's like one of those girls at school who have brothers but no love yeah oh that stuck out for yeah, me yeah really lovely and i was like so she's been around boys but she still needs their love or something i don't know yeah. just it- or just someone who's very envied yeah. But actually, you shouldn't be envying yes, him. It's yes. the kind of thing you would envy at school, like she's got six older brothers. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was... I liked Irene more, that little <gasps> hussy. Irene, not in the film at all. They okay. remove that whole section, which I can understand why you would well, filmically. It's, it's, but... Well, but also, in a film, how can you be as subtle as she is in the book? Yeah, yeah. In the book, we have 
a scene or a couple of scenes where it seems like the school friend who's come to stay seduces her dad. Yeah. But that is not explicit and it's not what definite. What did you think? I don't think it was explicit. Yeah, but I think, what did you think? I think two things can be true at the same time. Yeah, but what did you think she Schrodinger's, did? Schrodinger's, <laughs> Schrodinger's. <laughs> I mean, it's her school friend who comes to stay and basically turns up in like full makeup and a bikini. I want to say Schrodinger's paedophilia. <laughs> Schrodinger's hebophilia. Schrodinger was a paedophile. Did you know that? Oh, great. Okay. I know. Yeah. Okay, we've got the title of the episode. Yeah, it was. And they've been trying to remove him because like there's lots of um, university buildings named after him, but he's like out and out known. Has been known for years. Oh, absolute God. paedophile. But it's just part and people of me, are like, yeah, but I, I've got no, there, there are no positives. Yeah. Except it makes me like it's not just showbiz. It's like all industries, all industries. These men. Yeah, there's a really good um, Helen Zaltzman allusionist podcast about the buildings. I think in Ireland, and they named him after they knew he was a paedophile. Like it wasn't like oh, who named him at the time? It's like no, that everyone knew. And it was like well, well and now they're changing it to like room A one five six seven because they're like it's just. It just should be a room. It yeah. shouldn't be named for someone. What are we saying when we name someone? Yeah, human beings are very fallible. Yeah, yeah. so let's just not involve them. Yes, or just like men. Should we stop naming stuff after men? Yeah, maybe. Just in case. That's the key. Just in case. Um, Irene is her school friend who comes to stay in the summer and this is a kind of flashback moment when she's remembering, I guess, her initial meeting of boys and what she felt and she was very young and innocent and wasn't into boys and her friend Irene is into boys into them in a way that is both could be interpreted by men as really really confident yes but actually as a woman reading it you go little girls don't know what they're doing well that's what I thought was playing with yeah because she turns up in like this ball gown and embarrassingly like sort of done up our character Joe is embarrassed for her Mm. and is like oh this is so embarrassing how awful all the men will think she's an idiot and all the men who meet her are like (laughs) yeah going bright red as she does this like really obvious batting of her eyelashes at them and then there's a beautiful line from the narrator at the the end of the chapter about how it's your own fault if you create drama but actually as a young woman they talk a lot about women's magazines and the advice that you get you actually get given a huge amount of information about the adult world and you have nowhere to process it yet like 12 year olds now watching Love Island there is a lot of stuff you are told about heterosexual interactions where you don't have a framework yet to actually solidly put those things in place shout out to Just 17 constantly saying do not you do not have to have sex with a boy you never have to do that well, if you don't want to or more magazine he, well you position, more position I was the fortnight when you're 11 going I didn't even know I had a bum hole yet like <laughs> <laughs> I read Prudy Prudy Just Seventeen, which was like you I don't remember do Just Seventeen being Prudy. It was so feminist. It was, was like it? you don't have to do this. If a boy says something, you can say no. It's your body. Like I literally, if anything happened, I was like, remember Just Seventeen? Really? What did Just Seventeen tell you? I have. No, I had no and then More Magazine was like, well, if but, you wear a little skirt, come on, you know you want it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were saucy. I didn't read More Magazine. It was didn't too you? much. Didn't it was too you? risky for me. I couldn't cope with it. I, I think I had exactly what these characters have which is an absolute fascination with what the adult world is there's a very funny bit where the character thinks vagina's the throat did you have that with Irene saying to her oh yeah Irene says to her I bet your mother hasn't even said the word vagina to you and she thinks why would she talk to me about my throat (laughs) (laughs) it's actually and I read it for this and then I had to and then I reread it again just after I'd watched the film because just I'm a deep diver and um, (laughs) it's actually very funny I said it was bleak. The first time I felt quite bleak about it. And the second time I was like, this is some really funny dialogue. Why was I... I think I felt so moved by her being trapped in motherhood. Yeah. I think it was too close for me. I think it's because you're married to a filmmaker. <laughs> I think it probably oh, is no, a bit too close. Oh, no, filmmaker is having <laughs> sex Philandra. with Pauline Fowler. <laughs> <laughs> Pauline Fowler will be 
people. Why could you? So the point that's made actually by his philandering is it isn't just about, you know, youth and beauty, which is what one always feels when yeah. one is cheated on. It's because you were deficient and someone else was more well, attractive. She, she is beautiful. Like the character, yeah. that's the thing I think is quite important of like... She's definitely is good looking her entire life. Yeah, her parents talk about it. And that's it. also yeah. what I think happens with Irene, her school friend, is jealous that actually she's very naturally beautiful, which I think is why they cast Anne Bancroft, who is ridiculously stunning. Mm. And so she is a beautiful person. And the impression you get with the woman he does have an affair based in front of her is she's not beautiful. She's kind mm. of a mess. She has a child already who she sort of leaves with them all the time. And no one likes this child. <laughs> they find her really annoying. And so, yeah, I think that's interesting as well that there's, it's not about looks, this affair. It's not about like, because I think if you heard the premise of the book, you'd be like, oh, mum with six kids, like yeah. she got tired. It's like, no, no, she's reading Vogue. She's in this beautiful house. She's got everything. And yeah, she's not happy. And mm. yeah, he won't, he, he considers it absolutely fine to go and have many affairs in front of her. So it's, what I think, and this is maybe what I meant when I said speaks to a modern audience, is like, it's the complexity that I think still stands. Whereas I think the film compresses it in quite into like, this is the time women couldn't do anything. Whereas I think with the book is kind of talking to like, yeah, it's very easy to have everything and still be miserable. Yeah, but that's a hard story to tell when so many people don't have everything. <laughs> yes, that's true. And I think have exactly the same spectrum for potential for human emotion because the It doesn't bother me so much that she was rich. It doesn't, bother, it doesn't bother me. But I just think in general that the arts has always been really, really interested in privileged people. Yeah, maybe I'm used to those stories. And it's not like we have a huge representation to go to. We hear from the wealthy because the wealthy have... Well, she's celebrated as a kind of forgotten female writer. But we are talking about forgotten female white upper middle class writer, which... Of course we are, because she, well she was writing 1962. So, you know, yeah, to be successful at that time in the way that she was. I was going to say, so this thing, this Irene, the reason I loved it so much was this example of a young girl and, and the words that they use is using sex for self-destruction. Ooh, and I was like, oh, isn't that yeah. fascinating? Because especially when you blame yourself as a younger person before you realise, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I might have walked down the lane. I didn't deserve what that person did to me. yeah. But you see it as self-destruction. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. If I hadn't gone there, if I hadn't called him, if I hadn't seen like I liked him, what did I Do you think she has quite a 60s take on that? Do you think it's quite old-fashioned? Or do you feel, as a modern modern gal, did you still speak to you? Well, I think this is where it's really amazing to get to read something. Because reading it now, I assumed the author wanted me <laughs> to think what I did think, which is it's yeah. not her fault. Yeah. Whereas actually she may have written it going, yeah. And it was. <laughs> I could yeah. tell, yeah, she sort of goes for this walk down an alley with her dad's friend. Yeah, a guy. Yeah. And he kind of gropes her. But yeah. it's te- it's dealt with in a very, I mean, <clears throat> even me saying that makes it sound more dramatic than she treats it. She mm. treats it as like, well, that's, you know, welcome to life, basically, <laughs> doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. So. No, she she says, I was lucky I wasn't raped. Yeah. Like a, different, a man with a different personality would have raped yes, me. Yes, yeah. But she says it in a very, do you know what I mean? Mm. I feel like quite old-fashioned way of like, oh, well. Rather than like fucking hell, what yeah. am I saying? It was like, yeah, oh well. Yeah, but good luck, good luck for me. But that's such a trauma influenced behaviour yes. to minimise the things that are actually yeah. traumatic, but still sort of say, yeah, that happened. Well, they were so traumatised at that point, weren't they? Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's what I thought with a lot of this book is this is someone who is still in trauma, writing mm. about someone who is still in trauma. I mean, that's what she's describing with the sort of all of the tears and the breakdown. Yeah. Is it someone having a traumatic response to something while saying they don't know why they're crying? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, does Joe the character know she's having a breakdown? Because it's not. It's often not. It's often treated quite lightly. Yeah. 
in a way that I don't think a modern book would would treat that situation. You know, that would be like, this is obviously we're aware this is awful what's happening to me. This is terrible. Where she sort of never really acknowledges what's going on with herself. And I guess because the male character, so she has these conversations with a therapist. Yes. And the therapist and the doctors are so dismissive. Terrible therapist. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're so dismissive of her, which enables it still to sort of, you know, skirt around com- comedically, yeah, because their responses are so inappropriate. Yeah, it's that, and I guess that that is what makes quite a lot of it quite funny is people minimising her trauma quite a lot. But you know what I mean? Because it's the sixties, it's kind of like a side note of like, oh, you know, I'm pregnant for the eighth time. My husband's made me have an abortion, but it's exactly the same time he got another woman pregnant. She kept it. Oh, that's like not that's not what the book is about. Yeah. <laughs> like, was it that was a book now that almost would be that's the whole story is like mm-hmm. how she deals with that. Was really it's almost like over there in the background, and she writes about everything else, but all you can hear screaming is this pain. Yeah. of what just happened to me. But she does often say, the character's often, she doesn't make jokes about it, but she's often like, she sort of pinpoints the reason she's upset is because he had the other child, not because he made her do this thing she didn't mm. want to do. It's all kind of placed on the other woman. In her reply to Mrs Evans, which she does several times, that is, and that's a The point. woman who writes to her. Yes. Her responses there are based on what's happened to her, which is the abortion yeah, at that yes, point. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that the reply was really like Fleabag's monologue about women's pain. <laughs> you know, when someone has a very personal yeah. experience, but is able to extrapolate it to say, and this is women, <laughs> this is what we're going through. You, me, yeah. <laughs> who's helping who? Yeah. But again, it's done that way of like, that's just being a woman, isn't mm. it? It's not like... She doesn't, she's not offering any alternative. No, and it's not agitating for the revolution. No. You know, she's not included in that, like, Betty Friedan or, like, that sort of 60s writers, but she is highlighting exactly a woman's plight at that time, but she's not offering a solution to it, which I think is mm. what fiction can do. You know, it's, she's not, it's not a polemic revolutional piece. Yes. She's saying, this is my story, take of it what you will. Yeah, but there's something more honest about that, <laughs> someone remaining trapped... What you can also do in fiction is say, and this is how you get yourself out of yeah. there. Or this is if you've got the right temperament and the right tools, you can you can make people believe that change is because it's much nicer to read a book that ends really nicely and makes you feel positive. Do you want another fact? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> when she read the first good review of this book, she vomited. <laughs> Love it. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. I thought you'd like that. Anyone who reads their own reviews should have to vomit straight away. <laughs> She'd had, this was her sixth book, I think. And some had been buried without trace and she wrote one with John Mortimer, a travelogue. What I find so fascinating about the vomiting mm-hmm. is she talks, in this book, she several times says, don't ask people, don't ask people that question because you won't like the answer or don't torture yourself yeah, with their conversation, yeah. which is exactly what reading a review is. Yes. You don't actually want to know. When she opens his mail, she knows yeah. what's going on. That's exactly like reading a review. Yeah. You are not going to like what you read. But she liked it. It was the first time she had a good review, so she threw up. No, but you can get a good review and still be completely overwhelming and yeah, not recognise no, yourself. But I think this was the first made. book that like landed, although she didn't consider it her best. I really did read yes. a lot about her. <laughs> so I, know, sorry. I love that you did. I love that you did. I got very into it. But she is a weirdo in many ways, and she, they, she's considered a weirdo because of the amount of children she's had. Yes. And everybody, and very interesting that they're talking about abortion in 1962, and people are out and out like, you should definitely have one because you've got too many. Yeah. Like the doctors, her husband, nobody says, yeah. oh, Oh my God, you can't do that. And Everyone's a hysterectomy. Like, You've yeah. had enough and yeah. it will stop. You're sterilised. All the men yeah. say, 
you can't possibly have any more. Mm. And her, and her mother, mom, her yeah. mom, yeah, her mom says to her, "It was all right in you know grandmother's mm. day; she couldn't have anything, but you've got options." Yeah, and she said to her because they used to all die all the time. Yeah, and she said it's all right in the olden days, and she said drink more gin. Yeah, she says have some more gin while she yeah. tells her she's pregnant again. Yeah. <laughs> So, yes, I think they, her husband considers her a weirdo mm. and her husband, very much Jake, the character, doesn't understand her at all. What do you think? Because she's so deeply in love with Jake and he's so deeply inappropriate of, for Which, her. There's a description of him yes, that it's I so find good. so blistering. It's so blistering. And it's quite late in the book, so yeah. he seemed more affable yeah. if you were just taking it on, you know, yeah. events. And then she describes him as, Jake is a violent man who wears a sluggard body for disguise. Sleepy, amiable, anxious to please, lazy, tolerant, possibly in some ways a little stupid. This is the personality he wears as a man in the world. His indestructible energy, aggression, cruelty and ambition are well protected. And suddenly you're scared. Yeah. I'm scared of him. And I'm scared, I'm scared of someone loving someone like that. And I'm scared of men being able to seem safer than mm. they are. And the fact that she clearly was deeply in love with him and she goes on to say after that bit of like once she realised she knew it was an unfair battle she knew she could never win and he went on loving me even after I was beaten yeah. propped up with my wound wide open emptied of memory or hope I'd say leave him at that point <laughs> that's why I felt it was bleak do you know what I mean oh. I read stuff like that and then on the reread I'm, I saw the jokes and I was like yeah. actually it's really funny but it's a woman in so much pain I didn't think she really loved him though did you know? Because I think I think because if you don't really know someone, don't really understand them, it seemed to be whenever she was asked about loving him, she was really vague, and it was like he was there or he. Mm. And at the beginning, you think it's just because he's taken the children on. He's young, he's unsuccessful, he works at <coughs> home in a little office, yeah. and he's taken all these other men's kids. He's sort of emasculated at the beginning. Yeah. You don't find out until three quarters of the way through. He has this secret aggression mm, ambition ambition battles with her also he does that very male thing of making excuse I've done it all for you and the family you're the yeah. reason I worked so hard you're the reason I'm going to Africa for six months yeah, and going to back to Hollywood to have an yeah. affair with another woman yeah there's that great bit where she says um after she's found out about the affair and they're sort of making up and he 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 wants a kiss and he says she says like he puckers his lips and looks at oh, him maternal like yes. yeah and then she says i could envision all my past husbands mm. who i fucked over looking at me and being like has your turn now <laughs> yes. like, so she's quite vicious about herself yeah. as much as she's vicious she's vicious about everybody like yeah. she's like her writing is vicious i think yeah in a way that's why it's good because she the way she describes people is like whoa fucking but maybe hell. it is because it's based on a true relationship and a true man maybe Maybe that makes it much harder to write them as a really good character because depending how you're feeling at the time about them it's going to dictate how you yeah but that's what i would them. argue that's why he is a good character because he's completely flawed he doesn't make sense he's a bit inconsistent part of you is yeah. like he's not he's not a character he's a real human mm. you get that humanity of him in that you're like oh god <laughs> like i can see why you did fall for this i can see also i can see why he's saying fuck it how many kids have we got yeah and you're pregnant again and that's your answer to this situation yeah. like i could also hit understand his position of being like they do have a lot of kids there was a really lovely moment I mean in in that it was so depressing that I thought was very reflective of marriage yes which is when um she's she's done this really great thing which is he's come home from filming and he's a little bit down so she says has his huge party and then at the end of the party she says to him my dad's ill they think it's cancer and then from his face she knows oh I should have waited till tomorrow he's, yeah. like, he's got that annoyance of like why did you tell me now yeah, but, but, but of the ugliness of illness she yes. says I should have waited um, and so there's two things I thought how we all project so he didn't yeah. say to her couldn't no. you have waited till the morning I was in a good mood yeah she saw a facial expression and created a whole narrative yeah, around it but also oh, right, Jake <laughs> 
<laughs> but also how you spend so much time with someone and those kind of annoyances you are so cruel accidentally yeah and I think yeah. that comes back into the motherhood thing mm. because there is no time in that marriage and no space even though they do have a lot of help there are still a, an inordinate amount of children to be dealing mm. with and that's what marriage and motherhood end up being your time is so stripped down to like the you know it's like peeing a carrot over and over again you've got nothing and so when someone wants anything you're like fuck you <laughs> you can't fucking have it guys get married have kids it's great um, um, my 16 month old who uh you know it's just saying the odd word said fuck yesterday <gasps> and i'm like oh he, he pushed over his nappy and went fuck and I was like, oh, oh, oh mommy my, has been too moody around you my daughter when she was in the buggy one time we were pushed down the road and she was like swinging herself back and forward going motherfucker motherfucker <laughs> motherfucker and I thought yeah okay I do swear too much my mum kept saying you swear too much I was like it's fine and I thought yeah okay message received yeah she didn't know what it means and I stopped saying motherfucker yeah <laughs> thought it'd be really nice to end yep. with a line from Penelope Mortimer oh, like, yeah. so, that, so the author can say goodbye okay and I, this one just felt so appropriate is this is the last line of the book some of these things happened and some were dreams they are all true as I understood truth they are all real as I understood reality that's perfect so perfect for all of us living in our own heads <laughs> in our own minds just doing our best in doing the world. our best interpreting things based on our own experiences but also for someone who's writing of something you know all of it's true none of it happened thank you Penelope Mortimer yes you weirdo (laughs) thank you for listening to the Weirdos Book Club we'd love it if you subscribed in your podcast app you can even review us which we'll read and then vomit if it's too nice next week's book guest we're so excited she's agreeing to join the Weirdos Book Club because she's already a member it's Weirdo by Sarah Pascoe it's so on theme it's unbelievable and it's a special live episode special live episode coming to you from 21 Soho in London thank you for reading reading with us we like Like reading with you. you hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Lucy Beaumont. And guess what? I'm Sam Campbell. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy our podcast. It's called Lucy and Sam's Perfect Brains. It, we have a podcast and uh, it might be, uh, I probably don't want to sound, um, you know, like I'm bragging, but it's dynamite. It is electric. It's high voltage. And please, we really need you to listen. You don't understand how much we need this. Is it on all the platforms? Oh, it absolutely is. But um, yeah, we, th- this one is coming. This one's out now. Lucy and Sam's perfect brands.